You're listening to the Ohio Conference Cast, where we explore topics related to the workings of Ohio Conference. Here are your hosts, Bill Seymour and Thomas Dunn. Welcome, everyone, to Ohio Conference Cast. This is Thomas along with Bill, and we have with us one of our most popular guests. Is this your third? Podcast? I think so. Third or fourth? Yeah. Fourth? Third? We don't need Somewhere to introduce him. You recognize yeah, that you, voice? You recognize his voice, so everything's just fine. <laughs> uh <laughs> oh please! Yeah. So we have Terry Shu with us. He is the outgoing minister for leadership development of MCUSA. He has three more weeks in that role. Right. Not that anyone's that's all counting. I got. Yeah. That, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so Terry, you had three weeks. I'm sure you've got all sorts of different emotions and things going on with that. I can only yep. imagine. But tell us a little bit about that. But more importantly, want to know what happens after those three weeks uh-huh. are up. Well, yeah, this this last month with uh, Mennonite Church USA, I've been working to do orientation for Sue Parker. Last week I was out in Los Angeles with her. Most of the week uh, Sue is doing the work that Nancy Kaufman did with the MLI mm-hmm. and the calling system. So all the new pastors into the denomination will come through the gatekeeper that is now Sue Parker. Her and her husband have been pastors there in L.A. Uh, they've also started a, a ministry called Reconciliation, and Hyun, her husband, has been in North Korea a couple times. They're both Korean. So the Reconciliation is a play on words, like the last... Reconciliation. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, God is using them in amazing ways, doing Reconciliation reconciliation in uh, Los Angeles, and they... At, Korean community, mm-hmm. but also internationally as they go to South Korea and, and North Korea. So Sue is going to be working from Los Angeles, Pasadena, and working from her home doing that that work, which is, again, mostly through uh, email and, and telephone and travel. Right. right. So the MLI is the Ministerial Leadership Inquiry? In information. Information. Form. So yeah. it's, I don't know, 82 pages of yeah. pastor. <laughs> it's essentially want, the reference have to fill form, out all kinds of things. the form yeah. for persons entertaining uh, the possibility of becoming a pastor in right. Church USA. Right. And conference ministers receive them and get them to search committees. So if you're so, a listener and you're not a pastor, ask your pastor about the MLI and see what and see what snarky remarks you get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's a laborious process. Yeah, it yeah, is it's not, not easy. something you do Tuesday yeah. and turn it in the next day. Right. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's weeks. Yeah. yeah. So by gatekeeper, you don't mean she's not the one that approves everybody's MLI. She's just no. She's the one that collects the information and the paperworky things to send back to the conference. Well, no, actually, she does interview them early on. Okay. And if they're new to the Mennonite Church, because the the link for inquiry to the MLI is on the website that people can just go on there and click. And so the early conversation is, does this person even know who we are as mm-hmm. Anabaptists? Right. And if they don't, she has an interview with them, and... If if she senses that there's interest that would be good for conference ministers to invest in, we have a document called a placement protocol, and that requires them to first read the Confession of Faith as well as shared understanding of of Mennonite uh, ministerial polity, and then have a conversation with a regional conference minister in their area. Mm-hmm. So that way they don't just fill out the MLI and throw it in a pool, 
It's the conversation with Sue. It's the placement protocol that takes weeks. Right. And then a conversation with the conference minister. And if the conference minister gives a green light, then they fill out the MLI. So huh. it's it's a long process hmm. if they've not been part of the Mennonite church at all. Uh, right. Because there are at least one a month people that would contact Nancy or now Sue mm-hmm. and say, hey, I want to be a Mennonite pastor. And the question is, what do you know about Mennonites? <laughs> well, they have horse and buggies, don't they? And <laughs> so it's, it's amazing the number oh, of people that just yeah. are looking for jobs. Yeah. And the placement protocol is something that we put in place to slow down the process, make sure they understand who we are before we ever put the, their MLI in the pool to be considered. Okay. Oh, well, that's good information. Yeah. And that is fascinating, but I, I think you have more interesting things to tell us about that I'm, I want to hear about. Well, I don't know. Are you going to ask you, him a specific thing, or you just want to say, my, my pottery or my uh, <laughs> Camino? Or what do you, You're going you, to Portugal. <laughs> I want to hear about Portugal, Portugal, and Thomas is jealous, <laughs> well, is, I, is what it all amounts to. I, I actually have another three weeks in my role here, so I can't get too excited about going to Portugal. And part of that time in finishing up my role here is then working with and orienting and overlapping with Michael Danner, who is the person that Glenn Guyton has interviewed and chosen to replace me. Michael is the conference minister in Illinois and has been in that role for three or four years, has been a pastor in Illinois before that. So in that mm-hmm. area of the of the country, he's he's pretty well known. Great guy. Uh, so we're going to overlap for a couple weeks through some face-to-face and uh, getting up to speed on the on the number of things that that I do in this role that most people in the denomination aren't really waking up thinking about, like sure. different boards I serve on, different selections that I that I do work that's way behind the scenes that would be missed if it was never done. Right. And podcast regulars will remember hearing Michael Danner for a, a moment or two on our last podcast that included mm-hmm. Glenn Guyton and some missional network people. Right, at the Scent yeah, Conference. At the Scent yeah. Conference. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's a real passion for Michael. We may hear more of him because he's been assigned to Ohio Conference. What's that capacity, Terry? Just the one that would, would connect with uh, your annual assembly. So like mm-hmm. when you have your ACA and I am given 10 minutes or whatever to talk, right. that will be Michael. So next March we'll have Michael Danner. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And then usually do a workshop oh. or two during that time and that sort yeah. of thing to oh. physically be there present and get to know the personality of conferences. Mm-hmm. You really see it when people are together like that. Sure. Nice. And that's been a joy of mine. It's also been a real difficulty because I've been going to 10 or 11 of those every year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. So now Glenn is dividing it up with the whole cabinet. So there's, I think Michael only has four, mm-hmm. uh, which will leave him a better rhythm. Yeah. Cool. So cabinet. So Glenn Guyton is the executive director, and you mentioned this word cabinet, and I've heard you use that word before. Mm-hmm. That means Glenn and Michael Danner who's the new Terry, but even though the role's a little different. And who else? And Iris DeLeon Hartshorn, and she's also going to be associate director. 
and her her role has been in transformative peacemaking and intercultural competencies. Okay. And then the other director is Janie Beckrider, and Janie is the communications director. Okay, so that's so the cabinet and Glenn are four people, right? Okay, and and the assistant Shelley Buller who who lives in Newton. Oh, right. Okay, right. Okay, but the directors we've been like around Irvin for the last eight years, right? And that's what he calls his cabinet, right? Okay, Mm -hmm. okay. So can we talk structure for a second, just in case people don't know? So that's the sort of inner cabinet. Uh, So then, what is the executive board? The executive board is the governance board of Mennonite Church USA. It's like the board of any organization. They they make the decisions and the staff implement them. So okay. The board so the staff is that is the plan and the cabinet. Right. We're full time employees. The board is the board that says the here's where we're going. Okay. Right. Glenn, he's the executive director. So the board only hires Glenn, and then Glenn right. hires the other people. Exactly. And, okay. Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah. And Glenn is accountable to the board, right? Through the moderator, and the board is implementing the vision, and then we put it on the ground. Well, come to think of it, I was on the board of our YMCA for a while, and that's how they work. Sure. Our board, yeah, I mean, we hire the executive director, board. and they do. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. All right. right. So, all right, cool. Yeah. For those of you who. Needed a primer on nonprofit board executive work. And our moderator, Dave Beauchart, is that the chair of the board. Right. Right. So right. Glenn and uh, David have this relationship of, of chief staff and uh, board chair. Okay. Right. Cool. So all that's very interesting, but tell us about Portugal. Two years ago, Kay and I walked the uh, Camino de Santiago starting in France and walked 500 miles uh, across Spain, and something happened to our hearts in that pilgrimage more than we would have ever imagined, and it has not left our hearts at all. In fact, it's it's just as meaningful, maybe more meaningful now than it ever was, mm. and we made the decision six months ago to to do the Camino again, and many, many people do it more than once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're finding the, the Camino family that we were a part of going across Spain, family that we met along the way, we didn't know anybody. Right. Uh, five of those people are doing it again this year. Huh. It's just amazing. We probably won't see them because they're doing different pieces of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we are, we're going to start in Porto, fly into Lisbon, and start at Porto and walk for 14 days to Santiago and then another 100 kilometers to the end of the earth in Finisterre. To the, to the end of the earth? For a thousand years, it was literally considered <laughs> to be the end of the earth, the westernmost point of the really? world. Wow. And they thought out there somewhere is the edge you'd fall <laughs> off. Well, Finisterre, uh, that'd be fin de tierra in yeah, Spanish. Yeah. Portugal would be close to that end right. of the earth. And that's and this is in Spain. Thomas is smart, <laughs> right? Finisterre. That's that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. So for a thousand years, it was determined that was the end of the earth. Wow. <laughs> Say a little bit more about. I mean, so you, you the, the the depth of the. I mean, the, the spiritual side of this is mm-hmm. different than doing the Appalachian Trail. I mean, what? Yeah. What is? Yeah, the, it's it's a it's a spiritual pilgrimage, and we've put together again uh, s- spiritual goals that we're going to be working on. The relational piece that's different than the, the Appalachian Trail is that there, there are p- 
people around. Some mm-hmm. people think it's too crowded if they like the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. But in our first Camino, there were people always in eyesight in front of us or behind us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we probably third of the time we walked with other people. Like I'd take out with one group and Kay would come with another group. And we ended up talking with them for six hours during the day walking. Then we'd go out for supper with them and eat with them. Then we'd sleep with them. And the next day we'd do it again. Hmm. And and it's just this collection of people from all over the world. About 10% of them are Americans. Mm-hmm. And it's like some of the best people you've ever met put on a on a path going all the same direction for a lot of different reasons. But the opportunity for conversations that are mind-clearing rather than trying to defend an opinion, Mm -hmm. right? Because you don't know these people, you're never going to see them again, so you just talk in a whole different way, and it's really about clarifying your own thoughts Mm. and learning through those conversations that it was just truly inspiring. We just preached at Midway Mennonite, Mm -hmm. and we, we have a sermon on pilgrimage, and then we gave our Camino talk that was more about our experience. For ways that sound strange to a lot of people, we both get choked up talking about this because it was mm-hmm. still two years later that wow. that powerful of an event. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. So Midway Mennonite is where Christiana Peterson is, whom we recorded a podcast on. Yeah. She wrote a book. Right. Uh, which I don't think is out yet. No, it's out. I, think. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, the book is out. The podcast is out. Oh, yeah. I don't oh, care about okay. the book. Well, we don't know when this podcast will go out. No, but I think I think we're going to put this one second in line to Glenn. Mm-hmm. Duh. Yeah, so. Matthew yeah. Peterson is the pastor there. Yes. He's a big hiker also, mm-hmm. yeah. a global hiker, Appalachian Trail, but also England a number of times. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't tell us that, but that's because we didn't allow him on the podcast. He's, he's a good guy. <laughs> he had to sit and watch. For that joke, you'll have to li- listen to the podcast upcoming. This is Paula Snyder Belusic. I want to take a moment to give a little bit of a commercial. Um, I'm the chair of the search committee that we are looking to call a conference minister. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have names of people that you think we should be talking to, to please talk to myself or one of the members of our search committee and to be praying with us and for us for our new conference minister. So, Terry, there a CLC just happened three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Uh, we had ago. Bob Souter and Jessica Schrock Ringenberg and Ralph, Ralph, Ralph Reinford Wendt. were there, and Ralph is currently on sabbatical. Uh, so we, we've heard bits and pieces about that, but I don't think Ohio Conference has got a real formal report. So you want to give a little shakedown of you know what, what happened at CLC and uh, what your perspectives are there? Well, it was it was more than just CLC. That's uh, right. There was a right? meeting before. Okay, so yeah. there was a meeting before that. Actually, we called for all the conference ministers to get together to have a special one day conversation where we had an outside facilitator come in and and really uh, we were shaping that up for like six months before, mm-hmm. and it was it was kind of the come to Jesus conversation about how are we going to continue to hold conference credentials in conferences when we're not sure that 
they're automatically transferred like they have always been. Mm-hmm. It's been the standard in Mennonite Church USA that credentials, ordinations, have been automatically transferred from one sister conference to another, and that's getting some significant pushback. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the conversation was really about that between these conference leaders. And that's a, a continued conversation. We didn't have it as a one-and-done eight-hour conversation. It's now looking at stage two in the annual meeting that we have with conference ministers in uh, December, mm-hmm. which I won't be there for. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's a long, arduous process because as one of the pieces in that meeting, conference ministers are, are really bound in two different ways, and they often feel really tugged because they have a covenant between them uh, as their peers, but they also are accountable, obviously, to the conferences that they serve, Mm -hmm. who have called them, hold their credentials, pay them, and uh, they're accountable to. Mm -hmm. But they're accountable also to their peers and the larger structures that they've committed to. So conference ministers are often in a bind, Mm -hmm. uh, even if they would want to, to lean in one direction if it if it's beyond and going in a direction different than their their peers they feel that bind but they also feel a bind at times when they're moving in a direction that's out of sync with their constituency yeah. mm-hmm. and, and we should say Ralph Reinford represented Ohio conference at that meeting right right because yeah. he's filled that role at those kinds of things in yeah our, in and I told times. him he must come <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. Ohio Conference needed the a voice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it needed a voice there. And I know there's the the void in Ohio Conference of not having a conference minister, but without one, Ohio Conference would not be represented. And it's right. a significant conference that needs to have a voice. That all took place before CLC, mm-hmm. but it was not just a regular CLC meeting either because it was a CLC meeting and an executive board meeting stacked on top of each other. Okay. Okay. So like for a church structure, not all churches have this anymore, but Kidra Menelot used to have the elders and the church council. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to pave the parking lot, it took the church council to vote on it. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to implement something new in the spiritual realm, the elders would talk about it. Right. The CLC is more the elders of the church. In fact, that's the language that it's used uh, to talk about the CLC, Constituency Leaders Council. And it's the, uh, the elders of the church representative of all of our conferences and uh, constituency groups. And the executive board is the governing board, the ones that make the decision. They have the authority whenever the delegates are not in session, which is almost all of the time. Right. So there were the multiple different topics that were talked about and some of the times the executive board was working alone and some of the times everybody was together. Hmm. Yeah. So the overall question seems to be how do we give conferences a little more autonomy and then what holds us together if we're right. doing that? Right. right. Yeah, I I think that's that's the real issue as we continue not really in a new way. I think it's almost going back to some of the earlier understandings and different churches and different regions would lean into this in, in more 
with more confidence earlier, but, like forty years ago, or earlier, like a hundred years ago. Well, or, maybe, maybe both. Okay, that yeah. congregations. So what what we're finding nationally is that the national church was not designed to have authority for congregations to make congregations do anything. Right. And really no authority other than the nuclear option of kicking a conference out for a conference to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not the way Mennonite Church w- was structured in any ever, kind of way. Really. Right. Ever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although in the rest of our world, we have bosses who tell us what to do. And, mm-hmm. and so it's often really hard for the people on the ground, including normal pastors even, to to recognize, okay, wait a minute, that's not quite how we, we don't operate like that. Right, right, uh, right. Because so much of the rest of our world is authoritarian. Right, yeah. and, it's, and it's very frustrating yeah. for people to, to want something to happen from the national level to fix mm-hmm. something over there or to get somebody right. to do right. something that they should do or not to do something they shouldn't do. And they want that authority to be put in place if it's acting on somebody else, they're not quite as interested in that authority being given to tell them what to do. And that's not poking fingers at anybody. That's a human condition thing. Like, yeah. you know, we all we all love authority when it's acting on somebody else and we hate it when it's acting on us. Mm-hmm. Or that's a tendency of probably not right, every single right. person. Right. But, yeah. the, but the structures of the denomination don't have that built in. Right. And... That's a big surprise to a number of people when they realize, you mean you can't do anything about that. You can't take Thomas's credentials away if he does A, B, or C. No, right. we, we can't. I mean, that's, right. that's held at the authorities held in the conference. Okay. So more and more over the last couple of years, Irvin has been articulating what is really the obvious stance is that we want that pushed down to the lowest level possible. Okay. So congregations are forced to own holding that authority for membership in their own congregations. Conferences are held accountable for articulating and embodying the authority of congregations in their conference. And that's really embedded Exactly in the membership guidelines, the document that was foundational for bringing us together. So what you're saying is this, this, the movement that we may be seeing is not so much a new thing, but it's really reestablishing what we were supposed to be mm-hmm. and how we were formed. There was, there, was, there was a surge about four years ago when the executive board tried to assert some authority yeah. with Theta Good yeah. and spoke very authoritatively to Mountain States and First Mennonite, even went as far as famously quoting that we would not recognize Theta's credential. Right, right. I remember that. Right. Uh, and and that was an attempt to find some moral authority in the board, even when they didn't have governance authority over that issue. As you probably are aware of, that moral authority that the board hoped to have fell kind of flat. And I think you were out, you made one of the visits out there. You were one of those that visited. And now the, over the last couple of years, the board has backtracked from that, not really changing a position, but just saying, yeah, we don't have that authority. 
Mm-hmm. We trust the conferences to do the discernment in their local context, and we want to focus more on resources than regulations. Right. So what what do you think that means then? I mean, <laughs> that kind of coming to a clear recognition of like, this is the reality. So what does that mean for individual conferences? So when Ohio Conference looks at ourselves and we look at MCUSA, how should that conversation look? Like if there needs to be that recognition, like, hey, we are more autonomous. Does Ohio Conference see ourselves? Or to actually be autonomous. Do we Maybe see ourselves more as autonomous? autonomous? Like, I mean, so... I think it depends on the question. Yeah. Like, I we want to do what we want to do. I think, yeah, like it goes back to the human condition, right? Right. Yeah, if it applies to me, I want to be autonomous. It applies to you, I want you to be autonomous if I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's the harsh way to say it. Yeah, I'm not sure if that answers the question. Yeah, so yeah, we have the human condition. We know what that is. But like looking at a structural issue, like so Ohio Conference, we I think in our Constitution, it says right away, we are a conference of Mennonite Church USA. Right. And so right. I think, what does that mean then? If <clears throat> right. Mennonite Church USA is saying that there, there is, the board doesn't have this moral authority or governance authority, what does it mean to be of Mennonite Church USA? Mm-hmm. Like that, to me, that begs more clarification than what does it mean to be a what, conference? What's holding us together? What's at the center? What's mm-hmm. that, that right. center bounded, center set that, that's right. there? And in fact, that actually gets at the, the purpose and the hope for the journey forward, right? Right. I mean, that to be able to articulate in in a in a clear way, uh, like on a one page, what's at our center? What's at our here's core? Here's what we all agree on. Here's what here's we here's what holds us. Yeah. yeah. And so that uh, sounds a little bit like Mennonite World Conference, right, exactly. Operating procedures, right. right. The okay. the seven core convictions, mm-hmm. right, which uh, have articulated that well for World Conference. It's going to be a long time and an arduous task to imagine Mennonite Church USA writing a new confession of faith. I mean, it's it's not going to happen. It's not it's not impossible for that to happen again, but it's not going to happen in in the near future. It's not being it's talked not planned. about. It's not, it's not talked planned, about. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's the the idea of laying out twenty four articles like there now that doesn't seem to be as inspiring right. as a crystal clear set of seven convictions or what Palmer Becker did with the three or the journey forward sure. with the three is just kind of putting in a nutshell. This is who we are. There are other things that hmm. we might have differing opinions so on. Could you maybe Terry, you would know this. We I've asked Bill this and he didn't know what I didn't know something. <laughs> yeah, Bill didn't know something. <laughs> so if, if you would say Mennonite world conference and Mennonite church USA, what are the differences? What's the difference between a part being affiliated with Mennonite World Conference and being affiliated with Mennonite Church USA? Well, obviously, World Conference is a global mm-hmm. fellowship. And to be real honest, there is as much or more diversity, way more diversity, oh, yeah. in Mennonite World Conference because it goes all the way of Anabaptists, mm-hmm. Brethren in Christ, very conservative, to the very progressive Mennonites in Amsterdam Mm -hmm. that I used to live with, right? And they would be way more progressive than any of the congregations that we have in Mennonite Church USA. Mm -hmm. So World Conference holds that together around these core convictions and a looser affiliation Mm -hmm. that they're they're sister churches, but it's not the kind of resistance to be a part of that by guilt 
by association. Right. So, so right. I think that's what I'm trying to tease out. Why is that? so? Why why right. is there such like joy in being a part of Mennonite? world conference with all that diversity but yet within mennonite church usa there's this like oh i can't I mean, we've seen people leave yeah uh, we still have you know a lot of people that are uncomfortable with this amount of diversity what is that key difference yeah well that that's a good question uh it's expectations isn't it expectations mennonite world conference doesn't really make any decisions other than mm-hmm. their core convictions so they're not putting out statements on positions decisions like and it's a national body. We respond to different things. The Mennonite World Conference affiliation is a bit looser and not as close as mm-hmm. the national, where it's gotten a little bit. Some people feel it's too close to belong to the Mennonite Church USA because we're going to feel like our own mission. I've heard this. Our own mission is dampened because. People know that those other churches are part of Mennonite Church USA, and we don't want to be mm-hmm. guilty by association. Yeah. So, do you know? Like, is there any two-way street with Mennonite World Conference? Like, so to be applied to be affiliated with the Men- can anyone claim it? Like, hey, you know, if the Southern Baptist Union wants to be a part of Mennonite World oh, Conference, yeah, can they just yeah. say, "Yep, we're we well, like"? Well, they them. have to. They have to make some kind of commitment to these core convictions. There's a whole application process that right now Lancaster Conference is applying for Mennonite World Conference. So is there a vetting to make sh- – does Mennonite World Conference do any kind of vetting that says, yes, they really are trying to act in these seven oh, yeah, core yeah, convictions? Yeah, okay, so it's, I can't just say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll sign on these things yeah. and I'll be part of mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's actually quite a process. Okay. That's fascinating that there is a process, there is vetting, but yet there's no anxiety about being a part of something that these other people are a part of. Yeah. I mean, so often I hear about, why can't we just be like World Conference and just come together to worship and forget all this other business stuff? Right. Yeah. You yeah. Know, just, I've probably and, said that. And, yeah. the, and the answer is? Yeah. And what is the answer? <laughs> I, I mean, I've asked the question. I don't have the answer. Like, well, again, that that tied into some of the impetus to do the Future Church Summit to get away from voting on resolutions that were so divisive to find a process that would listen to the church, listen to the spirit through the church, right. and try to find what, what's our core and what's what's it mean to follow Jesus in the 21st century. So we'll lob this question out. I mean, so you you have a, a wealth of background with Ohio Conference. You have a wealth of background with Mennonite Church USA, and you you know the moving parts more than than anyone else. I would say in those two, what advice would you have for Ohio Conference as we we continue to move forward and how do we function within this system that's more autonomous? What are some things that we can be doing to to be healthier and to mm-hmm. steward that relationship with Mennonite Church USA? I've been really impressed the last two ACAs that I've been at with Ohio Conference where I've sensed a desire to want to become healthier and some intentionality in that with the gathered and sent kind of initiatives, mm-hmm. with the missional focus, with the vote Two years ago, for a healthy budget and all that represented, mm-hmm. remember that vote? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was giving a clear signal, we don't want to stay here, we want to, we want to do something more. Right. And even this most recent transition with Ralph going part-time and saying, yeah, we, we, want, a, we want a full-time conference minister. Somewhere, I think Ohio Conference needs to focus on some 
some trust building mm-hmm. that I still believe Ohio Conference has been in a low trust environment for the last number of years. Mm-hmm. And to focus on vision is part of the healing, but I think to, to build that trust systematically is, is going to be a big part of what the new conference minister does. We're in a low trust environment in our culture, but mm-hmm. I think Ohio Conference is even more so that it's going to take some intentional work. So we've come a long ways, but we've got a There's long, still a long ways to go. Long yeah. ways to I, go. Think, I think so, yeah. yeah. I'm impressed with the trajectory that I see Ohio Conference on, but I don't think you're where you want to be. Mm-hmm. There's there's still things to, to work on. Sure. Terry, thank you for joining us for Ohio Conference Cast. We've been kind of all over the map a little bit, but we appreciate, yeah. uh, well, first of all, on behalf of all of our listeners on Ohio Conference, we appreciate your service to MCUSA and to us. Uh, and your wisdom and your love and your care. Thank you, Terry. Yep, thanks, Bill and Thomas. Thanks for listening to the Ohio Conference Cast. We would like to hear from you. You can email us at ohioconferencecast at gmail.com with any topics or questions you would like us to explore. 